0: If we can get the virus under control where it's happening most, which is in urban areas, that's where the transmission is taking place, get the, get the vaccine out quickly to stem the tide, we can get back to doing business, we can get our economy up and running again, and we won't have to continue to invest in uh, the COVID relief because we'll be functioning again as a community.
1: I'm Jeremy Lakash, a retirement community CEO living in Eureka, Illinois, And you are listening to the Vance Crow podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we have one of those rare political interviews that I do every once in a while. When I encounter a politician that I find to be particularly intriguing, I invite them on the podcast. I don't ever really want this show to be about politics. There's so many different shows about that that it doesn't seem all that important to me. But. I met a woman that is 40 years old and lives in the city of St. Louis, is an alder woman and has decided to run for mayor. If you know anything about the city of St. Louis, this is no small thing that she has taken on. I would say this puts a pressure and a spotlight on you and a competition that is uh, really unbelievable. And really, whoever gets that top mayoral spot is the CEO of the city of St. Louis, which has a 1.3 billion dollar budget so this is a major role and i was excited to have kara spencer on we talked about all sorts of things and at one point she actually holds up a pint glass filled with gun casings and it is um It's kind of shocking what she has to say, so I'm glad you're here for this interview. We're going to get to that in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that just the other day, we held the As the Crow Flies book club in virtual reality, and it was a blast. It was so much better, and the whole group agreed, than just getting on a Zoom call and talking. And a lot of that has to do with when you have a VR headset on, the audio changes based on where you're standing. So we built an underground bar where we got together, hung out in the bar for the first half hour. And then when we did the book club discussion, we were in the special room and we had a great time. If you're interested in doing this, if you want to participate, you don't even have to have a VR headset. You can get into the room uh, on your desktop. But if you do, and you want to try it out this month, We are reading the book uh, Alas, Babylon, which is the story about what happens to a group of people after nuclear war has happened and they've got to rebuild society. It's going to be a fun read and an even more fun experience to get into the VR world. So if you're interested in doing that, you can always DM me on Twitter or you can join the Articulate Ventures Network. In that network, we're doing all kinds of interesting things. Uh, In the next day or two, we are going to have two brothers, the Ring Brothers are going to get on and give an amateur lesson on butchering. Because once a month, we take people's amateur love of something, something that they don't do all the time professionally, but they've developed a skill and they wanna share it. And we get together on Tuesday nights and we share those uh, skills. So it's a fun one, that is gonna be a full house. And if you're interested in meeting people and talking about everything from ham radio to how to butcher an animal. Check it out. They're not always that prepper-ish this one just happened to be that way but i hope you'll join us and if you are one of the companies that is around saying hey is vr going to be good for us to meet remotely or is there some way that we should be preparing ourselves to use this technology in the future know that the executive producer ben anderson and i have been working around the clock to try and learn this technology to get better at it to make it more user-friendly and we've started putting on workshops and field trips so if your business is thinking about getting uh dipping their toe into this world or you just want to have a great experience for a group of your employees let us know by going to articulate slash vr all the links will be down below i'm so glad that you're here and now enjoy this conversation with st louis mayoral candidate kara spencer Alderwoman kara spencer welcome to the podcast Thanks for having me today. So uh, interesting interview today because we don't normally have very many politicians on. the. But I was very curious to talk with you after I heard you giving a talk about why you wanted to be uh, mayor of the city of St. Louis. And so I was excited when you accepted the invitation because I think we're at a very critical time in our nation's history where mayors are going to be more important than they probably have been in the last few decades. What uh, what prompts a person in today's day and age to decide they want to run for mayor?
0: Well, you know, I never pictured myself being in public service, to be honest with you. Um, You know, in a general sense, Um, I am the first in my family to get a college degree. I studied mathematics at a state university here in Missouri. Uh, Following that, I worked in the private sector for about a decade and a half. Uh, doing mathematical modeling for big companies, primarily pharmaceutical companies uh, worldwide. Uh, Had the great opportunity to travel around uh, and, you know, always made St. Louis my home. I love St. Louis. We are a legacy city with phenomenal assets, um, but we're failing to capitalize on them. We're failing to grow in any meaningful way. Uh, I have a son. Uh, We live here together in St. Louis, and the violence is out of control. The racial segregation. We have some real structural issues that are preventing us from being the city we can be. So I ran for office for alderman, uh, which in this unreformed city is very similar to a city council person and and a different, you know, different context. And I've been serving down at the board of aldermen for about six years and just decided it's time to take our city in a new direction. And so Uh, I filed a run uh, to serve as the sort of CEO of the city of St. Louis.
1: So what is a mayor in St. Louis responsible for doing?
0: You know, St. Louis is what's considered an unreformed city government structure. So uh, the mayor is, like I said, the CEO. um, But there is a, a trifecta of elected officials who have the real budgetary uh, power in the city of San Louis and that the budget is set by the board of estimate and apportionment which is made up of the mayor the comptroller and the president of the board of aldermen so the mayor really has the most staff and so really directs a lot of that but it is a dispersed set of powers uh, that at least on a budgetary sense the mayor however does really direct the administration of city services across all departments you know hires and appoints commissioners to every Single department and really directs how the city goes about its daily business and really sets the tone even though the city of St. Louis makes up only about 10 percent of the entire St. Louis region being the historical city you know this urban core of the region the mayor really convenes a lot of the discussion and really sets the overall tone for how we're moving forward and projecting ourselves in a national sense and an international sense.
1: So if, uh, if you're in competition with other people for mayor, what do you, what, what makes you somebody, what, what makes you stand out? Why, why do you think you should be mayor?
0: Sure. Well, I'll start by saying I'm the only candidate in the race that hasn't already run for mayor and lost. Um, And, you know, I I bring that up not to take a dig at my opponents, but really uh, just to highlight that I am a new way of doing business. I have taken on significant citywide issues with a tenacity uh, with a work ethic and with a real digging into the details of things and the facts, understanding the real structure of some of the deals that have been positioned before voters and the general public here in the city of St. Louis and um, have always been on the right side of issues, not just uh, on the issue side of things, but really digging in. I mean, in politics now it's easy for a political uh, position to be taken, you know, stand on the right side. But what do we actually get out of that? What are we actually doing? What are we accomplishing? And so I really stand out as somebody who is willing to dig in to the issues, develop not just a position on those things, uh, those solutions presenting presented to us, but driving new solutions and understanding how other cities, other municipal governments are addressing these major problems and weaving those uh, solutions into the system that we currently have in St. Louis to see how those things would fit in for our community.
1: You know, as I think about uh, political office, I, I think everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, I'll just speak for myself. I went you know, to college and was very uh, idealistic, and then you get done with college and you kind of develop a political nihilism that I don't think has exactly worn off. In fact, I would say for me, uh, political nihilism has has deepened. But at the same time I I want to say like somebody has to go in there. You want to have a good person in there and yet it seems like such a pit for somebody to get involved oh in. God. Do you have that perception that it is a pit that you're climbing into or do you not have the nihilism?
0: It is a pit. No doubt about that. I mean in St. Louis is one of the pitiest pits I suppose with most people <laughs> and problems in it. We have 279 municipalities. I'm a city, I'm a council person. I'm one of 679 elected officials in St. Louis. It's unbelievable. So what happens in a city where the governance structure is so deconstructed and the power dynamic is spread across so many people, you have individuals fighting, clawing for relevance in a political structure that is just so fractionated. And it is a pit. Uh, but I am committed to St. Louis. I'm born and raised here. I love this city and I want this community to be one where my son, who's now nine, when he is of you know age to get a job, can find an opportunity here and continue to live here. And right now we are sputtering out of relevance. Our population has stagnated for four decades. If we do not change course now, who's gonna do it for us? It's just not gonna happen. I look ahead at the enormous amount of opportunity uh, as we see major shifts in human capital throughout the world following a global pandemic like COVID-19 and looking ahead at climate migration and what that means for a Midwestern city along the largest body of free-flowing fresh water in the United States, the opportunity is endless, not to mention the technology hubs that we have here, the, the intellectual infrastructure that we have to capitalize on. The in, The upside is enormous. And you're right, it is a pit. And it's going to take somebody who understands the, the deficits that we have and how to operate in such a dysfunctional political system. And I've had the opportunity to do a lot of that at the Board of Aldermen.
1: When when I think about six hundred some odd elected officials for one city, particularly a city of like what City is region. Like, That's like, the region. Okay, the whole region. Okay. But That's what the are region. the locus of power? What is it that people are fighting over it? Is it all budget? Is it the authority over police? What what power are people um, trying to reach for?
0: All of the above. You know, I mean, so a lot of times you have elected officials who are looking to retain their seats and they're looking for a microphone or looking for some power over any number of things. Um, You know, and that's where you see a lack of um, the solution to sort of combine city county, for example, and have a combined set of governance structure. You see those in elected office really fighting that uh, to retain their relevance. Um, But right now, uh, one of the interesting opportunities I'm seeing throughout the St. Louis region is a real paradigm shift in that those individuals who are in elected office who would stand to lose little their parochial power if we do combine in some meaningful way are championing that, precisely because they have come to realize that uh, failing to do so is going to result in the same old stack that has plagued us for the last four decades. And I think you know they're looking at their own children who many of whom have left the St. Louis region for greener pastures for more robust economic uh, environments and, and where they can seek more gainful employment than here in St. Louis. That's not to say we don't have opportunities. We absolutely do, but we have got to start growing them uh, if we're going to be a place that can thrive.
1: So let's talk a little bit about coronavirus and the government's response to it. As you look at the way that mayors ended up having uh, a role in being able to determine what's open, what's closed, was this a power that you understood before it happened that mayors had? Or is it something that surprised you?
0: No. Uh, Well, I should say, um, you know, I work closely with the policymakers. I mean, I am a policymaker currently um but but, you know when we saw this hit when we saw the pandemic hit the united states uh the board many of us at the board of aldermen uh went to the mayor's office and were you know demanding sort of what the city was going to do we understood that the federal government was failing was failing its citizens. It was very clear from somebody paying attention, so we knew that our state and our local governments were going to have to take action. Um, you know, I think we were turning a blind eye to really how serious it was at the, at the national level, and here at the city, at the municipal level, we were doing the same. Um, as the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee at the Board of Aldermen, I called on our. Uh, you know, I, I pushed for regional response. Uh, I'm, I will not take credit for that. I was not the only one pushing for that, but certainly was behind the creation, behind the effort to create the Regional Pandemic Task Force, which is a regional group of uh, healthcare care advisor professionals in the field to help guide the political apparatus. Under no circumstance should somebody who's seeking re-election be making decisions on public health, you know, with the future of their own political well-being at the center of their decision-making, not us on an accusation at the current administration. But, you know, I do have worry, I do worry that when those those decisions are made politically, um, they are outside the best interests of the general public. So having professionals, the pand- we, we created a regional task force made up of, you know, folks from the regional healthcare systems and professionals in the area of disease uh, control, et cetera, the universities, the phenomenal universities we have here in St. Louis, to really guide what we can and should be doing as a community now. The political apparatus in the city and county and St. Charles County didn't always agree to adhere to those. And there was a breakdown, but it was a move in the right direction. And it helped center the conversation about some of the restrictions. It was not perfect, but it did move us in a better direction than we were heading, which was making those decisions in silos.
1: And so uh, being a part of that uh, apparatus is making these decisions. Were there any powers that you thought you should have had that that people thwarted or said you didn't have that that you wanted to exert?
0: Um, no, I mean, I think right now one of the big questions is the the vaccine rollout, you know, and having the vaccine rollout, having the funding, for example, on the, from the federal side come through the state and we had to inter interact with the state of Missouri. And that really caused a problem for the urban areas, those areas that have a high number of very susceptible high risk individuals. Um, and the problem with that was that the state of Missouri is a different political party than the city of St. Louis. And there was a breakdown and we got our vaccines after St. Louis County and many other areas in the state did. And that is a problem, especially because you see the surge in cases happening in our urban areas. And those surges are, you know, numbers that impact the entire state and drive down the ability of uh, for our community at large to continue economic activity. So. So, you know, so long as there are continued even pockets of of dissemination of the virus, you can't go back to business as usual. So failing to give the cities where people live in close close proximity the tools they needed to really um, address the issue had a major negative impact on Missouri's economy as a whole. And uh, that was that continues to be a problem.
1: So as the, what was the the committee that you were on, the health, uh, what did you call that?
0: It's the Health and Human Services Committee at the Board of Aldermen. So the legislative body, the Board of Aldermen or the city council, if you will, uh, has various committees that consider policies in different areas. Now, uh, and I, I am the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee at the Board of Aldermen.
1: So it's an interesting um, place to be at, right? Because you actually have to brass tacks decide when do masks come off when is the pandemic over when that's
0: not that's not exactly true um I, i i don't have i don't have that authority currently speaking um there are two you know the director the health commissioner has that authority to make those proclamations and and determinations and so does the mayor's office um where the policy making body comes in places if we were to put in For example, a city municipal ordinance, that's a much more cumbersome process than a direct order from the mayor or from the director of health. As chair of this body, I have not wanted to undermine the authority figures in the room because I think that could do more damage to the general public moving through a pandemic than it could do help. However, when we have had issues, for example, um, we have seen you know, questions related to whether or not we are vaccinating or testing those incarcerated individuals. I called a hearing. Right now, we saw the city receive its first shipment of vaccinations last week and vaccinating healthy young people as opposed to elderly people and the tiers that the government, the federal government, is recommending we distribute those vaccines. So Learning that over the weekend, we saw that come out in some of the media outlets on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, over the weekend. I called for a hearing, which is scheduled for Wednesday, the closest I could do it with with the sunshine laws in place. So we could hear just what we're doing. My role as the chair is to identify issues and bring those people to the, public to answer questions and to really understand what's going on. And that's precisely what we'll be doing on Wednesday with regards to the vaccine rollout.
1: Do you think the public was surprised by how much authority the, the city or county governments were able to to exert when the pandemic happened?
0: I do. I think there was some level of surprise there. I mean, people have been so tuned in on the national side of the political uh, side of the, you know, the, the, what's going on in D.C. and the state. Um, you know, we have a lot uh, of deficit. You know, the state of Missouri is always last in a lot of investment types, uh, whether it's health, whether it's infrastructure, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think I think residents in general look to those larger uh, government entities, those that collect a lot more taxes than the municipal government does as those authority figures. And I think there was a surprise there on what kind of authority, uh, a municipal government can have over a business. You have to shut down, you know, that sort of thing. And we've shut down several businesses here that weren't in compliance with, uh, COVID rules. Um, and that, that is a surprise.
1: So tell me about that. What, what makes that, uh, something that felt like the right decision to make?
0: To shut the businesses down, Um, you know, to be frank with you, I have not been in the decision making room uh, on those issues. I do think, however, we have, you know, uh, when the general public doesn't realize how, you know, let me take a step back. In order for us to function correctly, we have to protect our citizens. And the question is, should we have restrictions at all? um you know i think in a in a world in which everybody was educated equally and could make those uh decisions on their own and uh would not impact the health and well-being of others with their own actions then yes we could do that this is a different situation we needed to protect our most vulnerable we needed to make sure that our hospital systems weren't overrun and there did need to be some protections in place simply because the general public was not taking reasonable steps to protect themselves and those around them um did the, did the City of St. Louis, did the region do enough to educate its residents to prevent shutdowns of businesses, in my opinion, the answer is no. So we failed to really educate our public in a, in a in a meaningful way that allowed them and gave them the tools to make they, their own decisions. Therefore, we had to impose more restrictions on the operations to protect people and to get the economy up, you know, running again in a, in a normal way. Um, so um, you know, the fact that recently, uh, last week, the city of St. Louis closed down five businesses for failures to adhere to those guidelines. Um, I will say that, you know, we do need when we when we put in restrictions and people and business owners are failing to adhere to them. It is important that the city, that the government that puts those in place takes action. Yes, it's the same thing if we tell people you can't shoot guns in the city. And you shoot guns, and you don't do anything about it. It only makes the problem worse.
1: So, well, I don't know that it's fair to compare it to shooting guns in the city to running your business. But I take your point that that if well, you've created a rule, then it's 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 not very uh, it's pretty disingenuous to not apply the rule if you've already have it.
0: I think the most important thing is really to give those businesses the tools they need to succeed in the guidelines. Um, you know, I, the small the the. <laughs> the impact this has had on businesses is unprecedented and it is going to be incumbent upon the city and all levels of government to come in and make sure that our businesses have the tools they need to get through this at the end of the day I'm, i am uh, very concerned about how those funds will be distributed you know with this next aid package whether it's 1.3 trillion or whatever the compromise between biden and the Repub- you know the republicans are at the end of the day uh, but that needs to be administered in a way that is gonna jumpstart our economy, you know, and, and make sure that we're, you know, gonna be able to get through this in a fiscally healthy way. That's that's a very important piece, uh, you know, I mean, our physical health is important, but, you know, um, we could be devastated economically. Uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think we're gonna be able to pull through this, but, you know, um, making sure that, you um, yeah, I mean, making sure that when we have when we have those guidelines in place, there have only been a handful of businesses that have really been egregious. But that is that is disappointing, especially when they're posting videos online and it's a, when it, when it's a fra- you know, flagrant, just you know, disregard for human safety is is problematic.
1: So there's an interesting, I, so I spend a lot of time in the agriculture world. So people that are living in much less dense environments. And I think that one of the things that's very difficult for them to understand about the city is that it seems like the closer you get to dense environments, the, the balance between safety and liberty uh, changes. So I, what is your kind of political theory about how you balance the safety of residents with the liberty that people have for being in a free country?
0: It is a very tough question, Vance. Right now, I uh, mentioned to you on the front end of this, I was, you know, d- doing a run in my neighborhood. I run every morning, usually earlier than I was able to today. But I pick up bullet casings uh, in the streets of my neighborhood. Um, I just happen to have this sitting on my desk as I normally do. But this is—I've collected these in my neighborhood since oh, June. Those geez. are bullet casings. Yes. Seriously um you know and the reality is that those many of those bullets are shot by children the majority i don't have the figures yet but i do know a good number of the carjackings that take place in the city of st louis and there are a lot of them are done at the hands of children you know i was held up myself assaulted at gunpoint by a young man who had simply turned 18 the week before you know, the the reality is when our children who haven't fully developed, you know, they don't have a fully, front, fully developed frontal lobe are carrying around guns and we don't have paths, we don't have an underlying economic um, environment that has a job, a livable wage for them at the end of their uh, educational career, um, we, we are putting ourselves in danger. So, you know, I do think it's time for the city, the state to have some level of protection uh, from children and guns and to protect the children themselves. So do I wanna take away civil liberties of people? Absolutely not. Do I wanna prevent people from owning guns? I don't, Uh, but I do wanna give our law enforcement uh, the tools they need to remove the guns from the hands of children who should not be carrying them. And I think we have to walk into these uh, civil liberty questions very carefully. You know, the other solution that the city is considering right now is drones, spy planes, no, not drones, excuse me, spy planes. Have you heard about this?
1: Oh yeah, but go on if my audience hasn't, this is a great time to bring it up.
0: So, you know, we are the number one city in the nation for homicides. Violent crime is through the roof. And you know, failing to address whether or not children should have guns, what is what is the solution? The city of St. Louis is considering contracting with a private operator to put spy planes in the air 18 hours a day to capture images of everything, including your backyard and through your windows. And that individual company, that private operator would own those images and presumably have rights that we can't even guess at right now to, do, uh, to, to, to use that information. And that is an egregious abuse of civil liberties, in my view. And if we do not have protections in place to protect uh, the information we're collecting about our citizens, we have no right to be collecting it, period.
1: Yeah, I uh, actually got that sent to me by a drone operator who told me, you know, the amount of money that you'll spend in fuel alone running these drones is going to be so astronomical as to if you are trying to put it forward as this is an economical way to police your citizens, you're playing a game that's, um, that's, that doesn't seem to be um, with all the cards showing.
0: Well, they're not drones. They're planes. And so the fuel is even higher than if you were just using drones in this particular proposal, Vance. But you're right. And I, you know, to me, if we don't at least have a protection of the information we're going to be collecting about our citizens, we have no right to be collecting it. I'm not for it. We did pass. It's scary to think that we would be allowing a private company with one principle, you know, we don't, you know, to uh, obtain information that has only been piloted in one other city with mixed results on whether or not it was even useful, and that we would be playing around with our citizens' private information in such an egregious abuse of civil liberties is crazy. Now, on the back end, you have to say, okay, now what do we do about crime? How do we start to address this? Okay, you know, should we allow children to have guns in the right, in the public right Way. Can we start by saying that in a general sense, no, we don't want this? How can we take away, how can we, you know, make sure that when police are responding to to, to something going on, that they have a reasonable expectation that the children that they're engaging with aren't armed? You know, that's where. This is so
1: baffling to me that you're saying this. Like, I, I'm shocked. I, I have no, uh, I've never even heard this argument before that the that the challenge that we're facing is that a huge percentage of the guns that we're facing are in the hands of children, children. that are not able to predict the future. Uh, children. Or, like, I, I've never heard this before. This is very interesting to me.
0: Children. I'm working on getting the statistics from the police department, but, you know, anecdotally speaking and from speaking to law enforcement agents, speaking to law enforcement, you know, the the cops, they'll tell you, you know, carjackings, carjackings, killings, you know, we just arrested a couple people, teenagers who were, you know, killed a woman in front of her kid in her car, you know, a few blocks from my home earlier this month, you know, it's really, really, truly horrifying. And so, you know, when you when you have this, it's gotten so pervasive, the gun ownership, Model it's just so pervasive that uh, that our children are involved. And what happens when you arrest a child and send them to juvenile? They're released. You know we don't have a good system for dealing with that. So when when the social fabric is breaking down in such a uh, has broken down in such a significant way, um, you know we have a city that's 30% poverty. We have a school system that was unaccredited for many years, just got its accreditation back, and it's really struggling to make sure that that our children are educated. What is the solution? We can say, well, you know, the parents aren't there. So you know, what can we do? Um, throw our hands up at it. But at the end of the day, the city of St. Louis, whether you like it or not, is the economic engine of the state of Missouri. We have, Tremendous amount of agricultural interests and a lot of folks that live outside of the city, but at the end of the day, when you look at the revenue that comes into the state. It's right here, and if we allow St Louis to fail it'll take Missouri with it now, on the other hand, if we start to address this and say let's work with our urban partners here. And let's figure out how we can partner on some things we say we don't want to take the guns out, out, out of the hands of our you know kids in Bolivar Missouri. I don't, I agree with that, that's fine. You know, that's a totally different environment, but how can we deal with it here? It's just like when we are looking at contaminations in the air and demolitions of buildings. I worked to put in a bill a couple of years ago that requires that if you have asbestos in your building, you have to wet it and you have to have certain protections in place because it's an urban environment. That building that you wanna demo is immediately next to another building. That same building, if it was in Texas, Missouri, okay, with a population of I'm guessing 700 people, that building is a half a mile from another building. So if you want to demo and it's got asbestos in it, you know what, what do, you know what does what should the rest of the community care? It would you know contaminate your soil and there's going to be issues, but you know there's only so much we can do. But in an urban environment where that, that level of contamination is going to spray out everywhere, That's a different set of circumstances, and should you have the right to spew those contaminations into the air, contaminants into the air, I don't know that you should. So,
1: um, you know, you were talking about one of the challenges in a city, and the thing that leads kids to making bad decisions is they don't have a path to success. What do you think the city has within their power to grow jobs or to grow an environment where jobs become more plentiful?
0: Yeah, in order to do that, we have to make our our city a place where our employers want to come and base. We have to have two things, we have to have a workforce that's educated and ready to work. That means educating our kids. Two, we have to, you know, in order for them to move here now, even with an educated workforce, nobody wants to relocate to the number one homicide city in the nation. We have to address crime. You know, nobody wants to pick up bullet casings on their neighborhood streets on a a daily basis. It's insane. So we have to be serious about addressing violence and we have to start taking down those numbers that have been on an upward trajectory for the last decade. And in order to do that, we have to bring in professionals who know how to do that, look at other ways that cities have addressed it and there are lots of cities that have successfully addressed violence, and bring those programs and those individuals who have helped do it in Oakland, you know, uh, uh, Boston, major cities that have addressed violence. Bring them here. Let's do it here.
1: My uh, my kind of political theory is the, or the belief that I have is I want a thing kind of fractal localism, right? The closer you get to my house, I want to have more communal control. And the further that you get away from that, I want less and less government control. But I recognize that there needs to be some. So for example, in my house, I'm a communist, everything shared. And when I get outside of my house and I'm with my friends and family, I'm probably more of a socialist. I get to my county or my city and I'm more of um, a Republican. Right. Like, as I move further and further out, I want there to be less and less government, although there are some things that the government it needs to do. Right. The mm-hmm. policing, for example. Sure. Do you have a similar style of uh, political thought? Like, what is your hypothesis about the structure and, and function of government?
0: Um, I think government should be there to protect and be a safety net for our most vulnerable and get out of the way of of creative thought and creative endeavors. I mean, you know, um, part of why St. Louis is so interesting in a lot of ways is because we, you know, especially where I live, you know, the Cherokee Street District, um, you know, it's kind of do as you want. It's, you know, you you have the ability to kind of try new things. And if they fail, we have a very forgiving community and a broad sense in St. Louis. And that kind of encouraged people to think outside the box. That's a very good thing. Um, uh, but I do know that leaving guns in the hands of children, when you have problems like violence, you know, government standing outside of, uh, uh, the, out of the way, getting outside of the way, it's not going to solve that. That's not going to go away on its own. (laughs) You know, um, poverty is not going to be an issue that's just solved because we just get out of the way. Um, it's going to grow, you know?
1: This is an interesting tack that you're taking on the path to, to, um, you know, through your candidacy, because we just went through a year of people really pushing back on police all around the country. And there were a lot of people saying the police have too much authority. They're too dangerous. How do you bridge that divide between an urban environment that is intimidated by the police and a police force that probably feels like they're not getting the support that makes them want to come to work every day?
0: Yeah, I mean, or, you know, and take action when they need to, you know, I mean, can you imagine, not just is it scary being a police officer in St. Louis because of the violence, but now you have a pandemic and we're not even making sure that all of our first responders, I mean, there was a lot of issues going on. Um, I have an unwavering commitment to having those difficult conversations, so I represent one of the most challenged districts in St. Louis certainly in the south side of St. Louis. Like I meant, you know, I have about 40% poverty, 30% vacancy in my neighborhoods that I represent. These are real challenges. And there's a lot of distrust between the community I represent and the police department. And the way I've bridged it is having those conversations time and time and time again, and recognizing that both sides have merit. And, you know, and to a police officer, if they say, well, I'm a good cop and there's no reason to mistrust me, kind of helping that side see that, look, there's been decades of this, you know, and it's not your fault, but the city of St. Louis isn't even answering its 911 calls reliably. So when a resident witnesses something, wants to share information with our law enforcement. We're failing to pick up the phone. Can you imagine if you are seeing gunfire and you call 911, you get a busy signal, you get a recording that says, all operators are busy, please stay on the line. Someone will be with you shortly. There's gunfire. Someone will be with me shortly. No, thank you. That's what happens. And 25% of all emergency level 911 calls. You get a busy signal. You get a recording. So the reality is there is reason to distrust the system. The the police department's employer, which is the city, is failing to pick up the trash. Sometimes in your neighborhood, they don't have a a schedule for when you're going to be paving your street. Just this weekend, we were out cutting down trees without giving any warning to people that, you know, tree that's been in front of their house for 50 years, we just chopped it down and left it in the street for the weekend. You know, these are issues of, I mean, you're you're looking at me like I'm crazy. This is what happens in a city that has such a high level of poverty and needs to address its underlying function. And so it is the responsibility of the city who collects your taxes, you don't have a choice, we do collect them to return that investment that we're forcing you to make. Uh, in a way that uh, engenders your trust, otherwise you as the customer are going to choose to live somewhere else and give your tax dollars to another city. And that's what's happened in St. Louis we've hollowed out our core now where the rest of the government's function is is to recognize we got a problem here in St. Louis people. And if we want the rest of the region to flourish if we want the state to be a robust state entity and have that tax money we're going to have to fix this. We're gonna to to help them fix it, and if we keep leaving it into their own devices, it's gonna get worse. And then we're all gonna be in trouble.
1: So, as a mom that uh, has already been carjacked, like the question to me comes to mind: Why are you still there?
0: Well, couldn't you tell from the front end I'm a little crazy?
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm it's kidding, it's man, but, but it's what? a it, it's a question worthy of of uh, of answer because. You know, like if if I was talking to another sure. person that said, Hey, my nine year old might get shot on their way in from the car, you know, what how is that how is it responsible to be um staying in the city if that's the if that's the world under which you're you're seeing Sure.
0: Well, let me th- just to clarify, I wasn't carjacked, I was assaulted. It oh. you know, semantics, but it wasn't in my car. But um you know, like I said, fans, I'm from St. Louis. I love this city. I live in a home that was built in 1870 overlooking the Mississippi River. And that's a phenomenal, I mean, I have a doubled lot here. Uh, you know, we have a great life. We have restaurants within walking distance and a thriving cultural scene. Um, the, the history of St. Louis is second to none. And the potential here is astronomical it's hard to walk away from a city with such phenomenal bones with the intellectual infrastructure that we have here. Um, So I am bullish on St. Louis. And I know that the political apparatus that that has been running the show, you know, hasn't done a gang. It hasn't done an excellent job, you know, and so, you know, when I see that we've sputtered along for the last few decades, just imagine if we replace those typewriters with computers and we get our city operating in a 21st manner, uh, the upside is unbelievable. Who wouldn't want to take the helm and move well, our I'm, city I'm, in a new direction <laughs> yeah i'm
1: with you on the so. the joy of st louis i lived all over the world including like dc and new york and mm-hmm. i spent a bunch of time in europe and when i came to st louis and all of a sudden my mortgage was less than half of my rent in washington dc and i was you know i had a backyard and a brick house and neighbors and restaurants i loved it so i'm totally with you i I'm find myself uh, being flipped around on the way I thought this conversation would go. And I think that that speaks probably to my nihilism about uh, the political situation, because as I think about the role of a mayor, right, you're trying to make it so people can afford houses or that they can get jobs. And part of the problem is that you are facing the tide of national government, which, uh, you know, you made the mention there's going to be what uh, three or six trillion dollars just added again to the uh economy and uh as a mathematician you might be a good person to to ask this what is a trillion dollars how does anybody even understand that and then how do you be a mayor in a city where money where where the value of the dollar must inevitably go either up or down but it's not going to stay the same when you're adding Mm -hmm. a trillion in
0: well yeah the one the trillion dollar uh proposal that the biden administration is considering right now i'm not uh as up to speed on all the ins and outs of that, particularly, you know, in some in some way, because I don't know what the val, you know, what the end of the result is going to be. I want to see investments in our cities. <laughs> now I know that might not uh, speak to your audiences, but you know, the reality is the uh, cities. If we can get the virus under control where it's happening most, which is in urban areas, that's where the transmission is taking place. Get the get the vaccine out quickly to stem the tide. We can get back to doing business. We can get our economy up and running again and we won't have to continue to invest in uh, the covid relief because we'll be functioning again as a community. That's what I want to see. And then, you know, I it's imperative for me to know whether or not we're going to be giving out stimulus to individuals or we're going to be shoring up the government, the basic functioning of our governments, you know, we have to bail out businesses, but At the end of the day, cities are businesses too. The city of St. Louis is a billion dollar a year entity. That's our revenue on a regular basis, $1.1 billion. Uh, Part of that is an airport that the city owns, a significant amount of that is. We have a water department and we have a a few other things that we handle as a municipality. Um, And, you know, we have, it's important to understand that bailout is a lot of money, but where is it going to go? Um, I would like to m- make sure that um, our business community is able to come back in full force so that when you know we've been all caged up for a year. I, you know, the citizens of St. Louis wanna get out and spend the money that they do have, that they, those who continue to be employed through the pandemic um, uh, have seen some savings built up and I want people to spend it here in St. Louis. <laughs> so that's, you know, but it really is gonna depend what that one that w- whether it's 1 trillion, $1. 1.6 or whatever it ends up being where those funds are going to be allocated for the recovery.
1: What comes after a trillion? <laughs>
0: oh my gosh, I said uh, I'm embarrassed that I don't know the answer to this.
1: That's why As I think this is I think it probably is a quadrillion, but like that's when I start saying like uh, I, I ask people all the time, write down Quadri- what a trillion is. A
0: quadrillion, like. isn't it?
1: I think I so. Mean- but the question a trillion, then is that, a trillion, is, and then it's
0: a, a quintillion, quint, quintillion, I don't know. So this is
1: maybe part of my like political nihilism, right? We're talking about numbers that are mm-hmm. so large that no human mind can even understand them, let alone be able to distribute them within the matter of a few weeks or a few months. So in some ways, it feels like when we talk about a trillion dollar stimulus, it's like we're talking about magic money that that will be like floating around in the world and yet it's real because it's, it's consequences are real
0: you're right you know i mean the answer right i mean that's just like you know th- it's hard for a human mind to wrap its head around uh you know Even 300,000 vaccines. You know, the city of St. Louis has 300,000 people, and we need to get every one of them vaccinated. Um, But without a real tiered plan of prioritizing where those need to go, it's mayhem, and that's what you saw take place over the weekend. You know, the city got 3,900 vaccines, and didn't have a constructed uh, approach to how it was going to make sure that the most impacted people got it first you know the part part of the thing part of the situation here is if i get it i am a 40 year old woman who's white and healthy you know i'm not going to die from covid i'm just probably more than likely not but if my mom gets it she might so and she will probably end up in a hospital or under medical care during that uh experience that illness and that's going to overrun our healthcare system if we have too many people. You know, if if the regular general public of, you know, 20 to 40, 50 year olds are getting COVID, it doesn't really impact our underlying economy. Well, what does is when we, you know, let those vulnerable populations get it and overrun the hospitals. So that's why it's important for an ec- for the economic activity of a community to make sure that the most vulnerable people get it first so that we have no 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 danger of overrunning our healthcare system that is where we are failing right now
1: so if you were mayor and uh Mm what what would uh coronavirus being over look like how would you know when coronavirus is done and then second once it's done what would you do what would you arrange the city to do as a way to mark that event
0: uh how we know You know, I I think, you know, first of all, making sure that the public is getting vaccinated in a clear, constructed, organized way. Um, And that's not happening. So, you know, coronavirus isn't over until the majority of people have either been vaccinated or had exposure and we're not seeing the spread. So reducing those spread numbers, we are seeing that go down, which is a good thing. But when the hospital systems, the medical systems are in no longer danger of being overrun, then the economy can start to get back to normal and um, that is where uh, we need, that is where we need to be laser focused on how, and how do we protect the most vulnerable citizens so that they're not, that we don't have unnecessary deaths in our community. Um, and then, you know, what does the city going to do to, uh, when we, when we, when we get, what was the second power pal- Yeah, pal- well, when fans, coronavirus you know, is would,
1: done, you know, like, like, like uh... We tossed John Glenn up into the orbit and he went around seven times and we threw ticker tape parades in every city in the United States. Right. So what do you do to celebrate a moment where you've gotten past some global pandemic and how do you use that celebration to make the city better?
0: Oh, I mean, we should celebrate. uh, You know, I mean, I would love to see us celebrate outside and a, you know, celebrating our own awesomeness, you know, the music, the culture that we have here, we have phenomenal musicians from jazz to, um, you know, spoken word and, you know, rock. We, we just have an incredible amount of creative uh, individuals here. So celebrating ourselves and being able to be around each other. I mean, uh, I consider myself somewhat of an introvert, uh, but even I am at my wit's end, you know, with, you know, just seeing the same people every day. So I'd love to be out uh, and celebrating a healthy gathering of human uh, human beings.
1: <laughs> I, uh, back, back when the coronavirus first started, I interviewed a guy named Jeffrey w- uh, Joffrey West, who's uh, famous for mm-hmm. how do cities have emergent properties, He's a phenomenal uh, philosopher out at the Santa Fe Institute to think about how do cities grow. And his point was, you should have festival after festival after festival, and try and make it so you have as many people coming together as possible. And I was talking with my buddy, uh, Travis Liebig, and then uh, Mm -hmm. just a few other people, uh, Robbie McGee being one of them. And they have an idea that I think I want to drop to you. And if you get to be mayor, I think we should try and do this which is to have uh, either a formula one or an Indy car race in the city of St. Louis that goes all up and down the various streets and shows off the city. I think this is a very, very interesting idea.
0: Hmm. How would you do that in a city? Is it like the, the bike, the, you know, we do this, the bike race every year.
1: Right. Yeah. I think you would just, uh, you know, decide on a day and you'd block off just like you do with the bike races where they kind of block off those parts and do it like you're an Italian city that uh, is running these races. I mean, it brings so many people in and everyone has that kind of need for speed and the adrenaline and the excitement. And you could have art festivals. You could somehow combine it with uh, metro areas like I that's my that's my push right now.
0: I love it. I think it's a great idea. I had never honestly thought about it I mean especially going down by the arch and kind of weaving into some of the neighborhoods um I think it's fantastic um huh I love it
1: okay Kara I am so grateful for your time today if people wanted to learn more about your uh, candidacy and what you stand for what should they where should they go to find that out
0: they should go to my website, Kara Spencer, C-A-R-A-S-P-N-C-E-R, uh, the number four, mayor.com. And we've got some information out there. We'd love to have your support, your input, um, and uh, we'd love to continue the dialogue. We got four weeks left uh, till the election. And so if you're a resident of the city of St. Louis, of course, we'd love your vote.
1: Well, I have to tell you. I mean, I've said it a couple of times. I came in with. Uh, I was excited to talk to you because I had heard you speak. But I, I think you have a level of hope that I, uh, I deeply hope can uh, can push other people to get involved and to know how to how to improve the city that we're living in. And and uh, is, as you said, is the anchor point for the entire region.
0: Well, Vance, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I, I'd love to hear some feedback from some of your listeners. And I do. I'm bullish about St. Louis. Uh, we have a bright future. We've got to address some of the structural issues, but watch out. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be elected mayor. Um, and uh, and we're going to turn this city around.
1: Well, best of luck. Thanks, Kara.
0: All right. Have a good day. <laughs>